This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kynison, joined in the studio by... It's me, Rich Bradbury. Yes, it is, and it is a Thursday. Yeah. It's the August. It's the August. It's August the 10th. It is indeed. And yes. we are two days away from state elections. I know, right? Do you feel the vibe? I, do you I do. feel I do. the energy? I started feeling really... I, I, I want to say excited. I don't know if excited is the right word. <laughs> Apprehensive. Uh, when I was driving around the other day and the flags started popping up and the buntings were going everywhere. Because in my area right now, there are very few buntings. Uh, yes, because if you're in KL, you have nothing to vote for right exactly. now. Exactly. Uh, just for the folks in six states, including Selango. Um, and, you know, Rich, whenever... Um, state elections come around mm. actually whenever any election comes around in Malaysia you know there're going to be complaints there're going to be issues that are raised yeah. and one of those is always always going to be uh, traffic congestion right yes and we're seeing that i come don't back think you need to wait for an election for that to be a complaint though but yes actually, we need a news hook for certain things you know okay. you need a, something to talk about uh-huh. but when it comes to state elections i guess um and how it relates to transport. It's these different transport solutions that we have out mm. there, whether it's you know people opposing the PJ, uh, PJD link, right, which is a big thing for the Slango state government yeah. in their election run. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, folks in Penang complaining about congestion there and asking mm-hmm. about LRT solutions and things like that. So these are obviously topics that come up and you are holding your state representatives mm, to account mm. for that, whether that is within their purview or not, that's a separate mm, question altogether. Mm. But it's a key issue to think about. It is. You look a bit further out and you're looking at airports in, in Tioman and even, even in uh, Subang as well, there's uh, talk about all this kind of stuff happening. A lot of people worried about how it's going to affect them as well, obviously. Yeah, so always two sides of different camps, but yep. I think today what we're going to want to explore is how these different transport solutions factor into livable cities, economic development, mm. and the, I think the most important thing is, you know, we always talk about, uh, when we talk about a transport project, whether it's a highway or a rail system like ECRL, HSR, there's always this economic spillover effect that people talk about. Uh, today, I just want to, we want to get a little bit of a sense for what that means, right? What is the value of a transport solution? I mean, everyone who learned Malaysian history will always remember that uh, the Straits of Malacca played an, an instrumental role in the way the West Coast was developed with the ports and trade and all of that. Mm. So today on the show, we're taking a look at how mobility, urban and rural, as long as interstate connectivity plays a role in not just business activity, but also development of urban areas and rural areas. And helping us with this conversation, uh, we have in the studio with us Ramachandran Muniandi, the CEO and co-founder of Asian Mobility. They're a mobility as a service and digital city solution provider, Ram, welcome back to the show. How are you feeling? Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me again. It's a it's a great time to be talking about mobility yeah. uh, in our nation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure that's always the first line, right, yes. Ram? Whenever it's like anywhere, it's like yes, mobility is always a great time. Um, what is you know just to refresh because uh, I spoke to you a few months back on Open for Business. We got into what the bis- what the the we got into the business side of things, right? What Asia Mobility does. And one of the things that you did, of course, was the uh, the, the revival of a minibus concept, basically, using tech to enable that. Um, what does mobility as a service and digital city solutions mean when, uh, when it comes to your business? Sure. Um, in the context of a developing city like Kuala Lumpur, in a developing nation like Malaysia, um, there is a lack of a digital experience for public transport primarily. You've got a digital experience for driving, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's irrespective of your vehicle that you drive. Because when you sit in your car, you whip out your app your for your navigation. That's a digital experience mm-hmm. to driving, right? So you're guided by an app, be it Waze or you know, Google Maps here. 
Uh, but for public transport, really, there is an absolute lack of a digital experience for the commuters. Um, and and it, they, they, they have to almost fly, fly blind uh, if they were to use public transport on a daily basis. Um, and, and so that is what we are aiming to solve with mobility as a service. It's a, it's a technology and data platform that connects all the different modes of transport with each other. That's the key thing. So that mobility is seen across all modes and not having this competition between your car and the public transport mm. and, and with ride-hailing services and, and you have to pick one over the other. Mm. In a sprawling city like Kuala Lumpur, like Bangkok, like Jakarta, uh, you don't have the benefit of a walking distance luxury to a public transport station. Or even pavements. Uh, or even pavements, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, hence, you've got to be able to rely on all modes of transport that is available in the city to make a trip possible, mm. to make the most efficient journey for a passenger. And that's multimodal journey. A multimodal journey simply means out of your house, that's a first mile service that you use, to then transfer to a middle mile service, and then you get at your final destination, that's, that's a stop. Mm. It's not your final destination. Mm. Then from the stop to your final destination, it's a last mile. Right? So you need to be able to then use first mile, last mile, and combine that with public transport services in order to make sustainable mobility a reality mm. uh, in cities like Kuala Lumpur. And so the solution to doing that is not to be able to launch a new public transport service. The solution to that <laughs> is can we digitize all of these different modes of transport, be it rail, be it buses, be it ride-hailing, and connect them to each other, right? So that the passenger receives the benefit of an aggregated, integrated system that can help them with journey planning, mm -hmm. right? So out of your house, before you leave, you plan the journey with confidence. Mm. Not, and now, now you can do that for driving because it gives you an you know, ETA. That's the mm. expectation of a passenger, right? Right. But for me, that feels like you're taking away a, you know, a part of Malaysian's identity because it will mean like you can no longer be on the way because people, people, can, people can actually track where you are. You know. Big brother is watching. I'm sorry. Uh, but all, all that said, Ram, basically, uh, it's your business to know how to integrate transport solutions, transport systems to provide this overarching theme of mobility, make it more seamless. Um, so if we look at Penang, for example, in the lead up to the state elections, uh, there have been calls for the government to improve traffic con traffic con uh, condition issues in the state due to lack of infrastructure. And we're talking primarily here LRT, but there are also other intercity, uh, inner city uh, transportation uh, solutions that could be brought in. So from an urban mobility perspective, um, what are some of the root causes behind traffic congestion issues in dense areas such as Penang, such as KL? Um, and uh, you know, some of, what are some of the solutions to these uh, issues? Sure. Mobility is a hyper-localized issue. Mm. You, you can't take a KL solution and transplant it into, you know, Kota Baru, for example, right? Or, you know, even Penang, for that matter, simply because there aren't any rail services, you mm. know, you know, metro lines currently running in Penang. Uh, it's all ground-based, right? So ground-based transport is, is the problem because that's the exclusive mode of transport on the island. Um, and, and so, but if you look at KL, for example, the reason why you've got extreme congestion, uh, it's not just regular congestion, you've got extreme congestion <laughs> in parts of the city. Uh, it's a chronic problem, right? Um, and, and you have got um, a situation whereby the city is really, you know, cracking at its seams because of this, right? A lot of roads are choked up, um, parking spaces aren't enough, right? So it's a, 
very vicious cycle here. And more and more people are buying more cars, and mm. you know it gets more expensive to get around the city. Uh, but everybody works in the city. Everybody goes to school in the city. So you you can't quite get around this, right? And this is what has led to the increased cost of living as well. That's that's really a big contributor. It's not just the price of food. It's transport that has caused the price of food to go up because now yep. it costs you a lot more to you know deliver uh, a pack of burger across the inner city, yeah, for example, yeah. right? So, so hence that's that's where the problem is, right? And so if you look at KL, it's not a lack of public transport. There are public transport services. Obviously, the expectation is can't be such whereby oh, can KL become like Singapore? It's not possible simply because the size of the city is not the same, mm. right? We have a sprawling city. We have suburban areas, which is huge. Uh, and then we've got a very condensed you know, city centre. Um, and you've got surrounding cities around it, the greater KL, right? Pataling Jaya, Shah Alam, Subang Jaya. We all see it as one big city, yeah. right? And so how do you then draw an LRT system across all of these different neighbourhoods like Singapore? It's not possible, mm, right? Mm. Uh, and so hence, you've got to have a backbone of rail services. They are the big people movers. They move at the speed of, of um, uh, uh, large you know, volumes right, of you know, people. And then you've got to then help with people to get and board these services. It's a first mile, last mile issue. Now, your first mile, last mile issue is where it breaks down really. So if you look at public transport model share of Kuala Lumpur, it has remained stagnant. Under 20%. I think the right number is anywhere between 15 to 18% model share of KL. And that's been consistent year in, year out. And that sounds like a highly uh, underutilized number. Underutilized. Uh, well, it's there could be an element of underutilization here, but there's also an element of many other... It's an unmet, unmet you know, demand. Which means if I've got a 15% model share for public transport, I've got an 85% model share for private transport. Yeah. Right? That is what it really means. Right? And, and uh, so they may say, okay, look, but you know, LRTs are full. The Klanajai line is full on peak hours. Yes, simply because the unmet you know, demand has led people to make other choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, we don't have enough coaches and trains running on those lines. Mm. Right? Yeah. Just before we go to the break then, you you mentioned Singapore a couple of times there, and obviously we can't draw comparisons to Singapore. But what have they got, Singapore and Hong Kong, let's take those two examples, what have they got, you know, that we could potentially draw from? What what have they got that we could maybe bring into Malaysia to help improve some of our transportation systems? Yeah, so there are obviously a lot of stuff that we can learn from Singapore. One is being able to really hyper-localise the information for travel in a way whereby you would know uh, very easily you'll be able to find when is the next bus arriving. Mm, mm. Uh, you'll be able to know where the pavements are. Um, it helps you with that you know, planning, right? Um, and being able to then pay seamlessly, right? All of those things actually lead to an improved passenger experience, yeah, yeah. right? An improved traveler experience. And that is what you're using you know, you know, technology for. Let's map out the you know, city really clearly mm. that we don't just know where the roads are. We, we need to know where the pavements are and mm. where the pavements are not and mm. where the pavements should be, right? So we don't have hyper-localized mapping yet mm. for our city. Singapore has done that. They will be able to pinpoint every tree on every street and tell you where exactly <laughs> everything is at, right? So it's a, it's, it's a mapping problem, mm. right? We don't have a full cycling map for KL. Mm. 
Right, but that's because it changes every day, depending on where the construction <laughs> is. Yes, yes. So, but that's the challenge of mapping, right? Right, it's, right. It's being able to map a constantly changing environment. Singapore is also constantly changing. So, I think these are the few things that we can immediately do, right? Mm-hmm. Without having to say, "Look, let's let's um, uh, uh, re-engineer the entire city." It's not possible. Yeah. But we need to just take a stock of what we've got and then inject technology where we can. Now, of course, aside from inconvenience that stems from congestion, there are other impacts uh, from an economic perspective that uh, congestion and a lack of proper mobility plays in a city, which we will get into in a few minutes. Today on the show, we've been talking about how mobility and connectivity plays a role in business activity and development of urban and rural areas, uh, depending on the transport systems in the country. We've been speaking with Ramachandran Muniandi, the CEO and co-founder of Asian Mobility, a mobility as a service and digital city solution provider. I'm Richard Kynison with Richard Bradbreen. You've been listening to Enterprise BizBytes. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Business, finance, and more. BFM 89.9. Hey, folks, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanisin, joined in the studio by Richard Bradbury. Uh, and if you just joined us, we're today exploring the importance of mobility and transport connectivity on business activity, as well as just general development of a country and cities in that country. Um, and also, how do we assess whether um, the cost-benefit analysis is aligned with what we need from those solutions. We've been speaking with Ramachandran Muniandi, the CEO and co-founder of Asian Mobility, a mobility as a service and digital cities solution provider. Um, Ram, when it comes to transport, obviously the lack of good solutions leads to things like in, uh, leads to inconveniences such as congestion and obviously inefficient uh, time spent on roads and transport solutions. Now, aside from that, could you give us a sense of the value or the impact that good transportation has on urban areas? I think if you look at um, an integrated system that helps people move about in the most efficient manner, the most optimized manner, it's a system that is... Um, you know, demand responsive. Um, it caters towards the fluctuating demands um, that you know happens on a daily basis, on an hourly basis as well. So, you, so if you think about that and you envision KL with such a system, right, um, you're going to really have an improved um, lifestyle here. You know, yeah. you know improved. Um, you know, quality of you know living immediately, right? Um, you you know families will get to have their you know parents come back from work earlier. That and not spend two hours know, in traffic effect on the way of back. That cost, that you know, benefit is yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It changes a generation. Yeah, actually, right. Um, you're going to have loads of people starting new hobbies. You're going to have loads of people being able to work on a side business because now they've got a bit more time at home and mm. they can, you know, and not stuck, you know, behind their mm. wheels, right? Mm. That economic effect, right? It, it's there's huge indirect economic effects, uh, and and we've not even scratched the surface of being able to say, look, how this would change how people uh, spend, how people earn their money, how people upskill themselves. Now all of a sudden, now you could take a night class. Um, yeah. If you wanted to, because now it's just much easier for you to get to that place and do an in-class learning, right? That 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 is huge, and it's it's nation changing when we have that. 
I know one of the things that I always think about when it comes to good transport solutions is accessibility, right? Because right now, it's very biased towards vehicles and vehicles in this country, cars in this country are not cheap uh, for a multitude of reasons, which that's a whole different show altogether. Um, so when you have a good transport solution where your first and last miles are covered in a way where you have more accessibility, now you're able to spread your city much wider uh, so that people can get jobs further away or closer. Or have and buy more, cheaper homes. Yeah, buy cheaper homes, more mobility mm. and reliability, right? So mm. you don't have to depend on a few choke point highways to get to work and leave at 6 a.m. to get to a job that starts at 8 a.m. And all this, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, you know, lifestyle impact is one thing, but there are productivity gains to be had as well. Mm. So uh, a question that does come up regularly, and, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this as well as everybody else, <laughs> for, for when other projects come up, you know, the ECRL and uh, stuff like the uh, HSR and uh, even the MRT. Uh, and when these comes up, it's all about ROI. Right. So how do we determine whether a, a, a transport project is actually worth the cost? Yeah, I think that's a, obviously an you know, economic question, but we need to also layer on the impact towards the mobility demand and load of a city. Right? And that is what we actually do not have data to measure that. Uh -huh. And that is why every ROI done on public transport infrastructure projects is just based on fair collection. Um, the potential fair collection, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so they basically measure that, and this is uh, uh, how much this would generate in terms of um, 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 the you know revenue for that you know operator, but mm. also then the indirect spillover from jobs created during the construction phase and for the operator as well. Um, but what we are not measuring is um, what how can this project now change the patterns of mobility in yeah. our city. Right? What's the impact of that? Now, how how do you do that? You need to have some baseline, you know, data in order for you to be able to do that, which we currently do not have. That's the problem, right? So there is no way for us to simulate this. There, there is no proper simulation done, right? There is a traffic. There, there will always be a traffic impact assessment done, but that's a very conventional basis of being able to look at the you know demographics you know data and then make some projections estimates out of that. That isn't good enough, mm. right? Um, and so that is what we actually do not have. We have ridership data, but that's met demand. The you know, demand that you have met by the public transport operator, unmet demand. Now, we don't have that data. It's not something we're measuring. Yeah, we're not measuring that. So we're not saying, look, if there's a station here, would you use it? Mm. Right? Or if you had a chance of being able to call for a ride, would you use it mm. Right, to get to where you need to go? Now, how do you do that? Now, this was not possible 20 years ago, without any access directly to the end user and without any easy way to collect this information back. But now with you know, digital technology, we can, right? But how do you do that? What's the interface to that, right? A solution is being able to have a you know, citywide you know, journey planner that whether you drive, whether you walk, whether you take public transport, whether you take ride hailing, whether somebody sends you to the station, doesn't matter. You're using this you know, journey planner in order to plan your daily journeys. Mm. When you use a journey planner, there are queries being made in the journey planner that shows, look, this person has got travel intent to get from here to here, right? Mm. That is how you measure demand. That's real demand, real life demand. And then you then pair that to actually, then, okay, which mode of journey did they actually take? Right, so that's the lost, you know, opportunity if they didn't take public transport. Unmet demand. Uh, that data is the mobility pattern of a city. 
It's like a multimodal ways for people. Yes, right. multimodal yes. ways. That's that's a that's a great way of putting it together. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yes. um, Ram, we do want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about bigger projects here, right? So, uh, tangential note: airports, you know, great for bringing folks into the country. Also, can be part of a multimodal network, right? For yes. you to get from one country yes. to another. Yes, um, it can be part of a larger eco- uh, a larger transport ecosystem. Now, whether it's for business or for leisure, bringing people into the country has economic benefit to it. Uh, and we're seeing some news around Subang Airport. We are regeneration, money being put in to develop it. Um, but it isn't as, I mean, the closest thing I think to get to it would be the LRT station, which is still quite a ways from it. Um, whereas the KLA is something that's already integrated mm. with the mm. KL, with the KLX, LIA Express or the KLA Transit directly to Central, which is a great already our integrated transport solution. Um, when you look at you know, headlines, whether it's the Subang regeneration uh, or even an investment to uh, a Tioman app, a new Tioman airport. What do you see as the value of upgrading an airport, a city airport like Subang? Uh, and how do we better integrate that into the existing infrastructure network? Yeah, I think there, there is always going to be value of a transport hub, right? So we see airport as a transport hub, like we see an LRT station or like we see KL Central. Um, and and if you're a traveler who have you know taken a flight, actually you're a multimodal traveler immediately, unless you live at the airport and the you know airport that you're going to land in is your final destination. That's hardly ever the case, right? You get out of the airport. <laughs> so so anybody who has who has you know taken a flight, you're a multimodal traveler, right? Uh, so and and uh, you know what that means is that from your house to the airport that's one mode of transport that's usually ground transport and then you fly and then you land at your fine, uh, at the you know airport destination and then there's usually another airport transfer service that you take um, there so that's multimodal right so airports are actually a great multimodal example and for any airports to work first mile last mile or airport transfer services mm. needs to be integrated Right, mm. so you know correctly pointed out that uh, with KLIA you've got that connectivity to KL Central. That's an that's an extended connectivity via the you know ERL uh, line. So you've got that higher speed line that is running versus like a mainline train. Uh, and then of course you've got other services like you've got the airport buses that run that for you know cheaper mode of service. And obviously you've got roads, right? So you've got ride hailing services. You can drive there and park there. So you've got multiple ways in order for you to get to the airport. With Subang Airport as well, I think there's a great opportunity there in order to um, actually look at that area of the city. You're talking about the, you know, Aradamansara mm-hmm. pocket. You're talking about uh, the, you know, Sungai Buloh area, right? Um, there's a big development there under, you know, Kwasa land that is at the end of that road, right? All of that is going to actually benefit if we plan this properly. It's not just about the Subang Airport. It's about the connectivity to the airport, to and from. This is a great, you know, catalyst for a public transport network in that area, which currently does not exist. Mm. If you look at the connectivity between Kwasaland, there's an, you know, there is an MRT station there, but from Kwasaland to Subang Airport, there isn't any public, there isn't any public transport links. Mm. Right? So this is a great opportunity for us to be able to now network that area with public transport connectivity. Uh, from Subang Airport now to KL Central, there is actually a line, uh, the Sky Park link by you know, KTMB. That's a dedicated train line from KL Central with one stop in Subang Jaya, only one stop, and then straight to the Sky Park um, you know, terminal. Right? We had that running until February of this year. Uh, that was suspended, but we have the infrastructure there. Why was it suspended? Low ridership, 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. You had 80 passengers on a daily basis using the Skypark train. Mm-hmm. 80 passengers. That's uh, um, not ideal. You you could use my you know you could use my vans for you, yeah. know, you know track rides van and get more passengers for that, mm-hmm. right? So uh, why the you know question is why? So it's because really very few people when you book a flight that's flying out of Subang Airport. Very few people actually even realize, actually, I could take a train from KL Central or from the Subang Jaya station mm-hmm. to get to Subang Airport. Very few people realize it. What comes immediately to you is that, okay, I've got to get somebody to send me there or grab on the day. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's a very risky proposition because yeah. you know why? The Subang Airport Road <laughs> is constantly <laughs> prone to traffic. But yet we make such risky decisions yeah. because we have got a lack of a comprehensive journey planner in the first place. Mm. So your journey planner now is in your head, mm. right? Because that's the, that's the way I've done it before. That's how I will exactly. continue to do it. It's like we've been conditioned. That yes. That's the only way to do it. Yes. Yeah, it's, right. it's funny because when I think of this, exactly. So when I think of like, okay, I need to go to Subang Airport immediately. It's, I'm using my brain to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if I'm going to Kelly. I immediately know okay, I have different modes of options. transport that mm-hmm. I can do. Mm-hmm. I have options here. That's right. uh, if I'm using a particular flight, maybe I can check in at KL uh, Central and then head over to right. uh, with, with some relative ease, right? Especially right. if you're a single passenger, that may make more sense than four people taking the then the cost That's right. comes mm-hmm. into equation. Um, turning Subang, that Subang area into a transport hub, uh, are we talking about basically uh, a kind of parallel to KL Central? Is that what you're, you're envisioning here? I think um, every... Every transit station or a transit terminal or transit hub should become a mobility hub, right? Um, It must have parking facilities. It must have charging facilities for the EVs. Mm. It needs to have micro-mobility docking stations. It needs to have a bicycle repair shop. Mm. Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so we've got to rethink this, right? An airport is not just an airport anymore. It needs to be a mobility hub, Mm. Right, so that is how we need to look at the problem here. Mm. It's a mobility hub that have got multiple modes of travel mm. included. Mm. Right, that is how we need to think about the problem. Not just building an airport for flights alone and planes alone. Right, it's for people. It's for bicycles. It's for cars. It's for buses. It's for you know you know DRT vans. Right, it's for all of that. Mm. Right, mm. and so if we take that approach, right, then the airport becomes multiple use. Now you're going to use the airport in order to also help you know people get to the airport who work there. That's a big problem now for yeah. people who work at KLIA. Right, they all have to buy houses around there, and, and it's very odd hours often. It's working. odd hours. Yeah, yeah. There aren't transports because there aren't because the you know airport is not built. Surprisingly, not built for all kinds of people. It's mm. only built for the traveller, mm. but it's not built for the people who work there. Mm. It's not built mm. for the people who live around there, right? Mm. Uh, and so the only way to do that is to take a multimodal approach, mm. right? And then gives us the opportunity to do a lot more with the airport, actually. Well, with airports in mind, and let's just keep that top of mind as well right now. Yesterday, I think it was, we saw the the news come out uh, about the cancellation of the uh, Tiaman Airport, uh, International Airport Project, um, due to this, they were speaking about uh, preservation, conservation. When do you draw that line between infrastructure development and the need to protect natural resources, do you think? I think for major public infrastructure projects, um, it has many implications, uh, social implications, environmental implications. And I think we've got adequate um, regulations and frameworks, right, in order to assess the impact of all of that. Um, And so it needs to go through that due process, Uh, social impact studies, environmental impact studies, traffic impact studies, right? Um, And so you've got to use that in a very objective manner in, in order to measure its impact to the environment. Like what I've said, you know, any transport service is a hyper localized 
service. Uh, an airport that works in CDA is not necessarily in that same design will work in CDB, right? We all know that. And so that's why that hyper-localization needs to take into account. And, and so I think from a cost and benefit analysis, I think uh, that is what we need to look at. It's, it's, it's not just about, okay, how much is it going to cost us to build this? Uh, what's the impact to the local environment? Mm. But what's the impact to the people... You know, uh, you know, transport needs in that place, right? So if we, if, if say we take you know Tioman Airport as an example, an airport on that island now, um, uh, what's the first mile, last mile for that? Because that's going to change your daily travel, mm-hmm. your daily habit. That's the impact that we are not currently measuring, mm. right? So uh, that is a lifestyle impact. So maybe we need to do have a lifestyle impact assessment. You got SIATIEIA. Now it's time for an LIA lifestyle <laughs> impact assessment, right? Because because all of this changes how how you move about on a day to day basis. If there mm. is an airport on an island like that, what's the impact to the locals there from their lifestyle basis, right? What's the impact to the traveler there? Because mm. now to get to you know Tioman, there are ways to get there already. You don't have to fly in there, but with flights now, what what's it going to look like? What's the impact to the to us who live here? Are we going to use? Are, are we going to be flying out of you know Subang to Tioman or you know KLI to Tioman? That makes a lot of a lot of difference, right? Mm. So so I feel that that is what is missing and that is what needs to be in there because that that answers a lot of the questions about do we actually need an airport? Mm. The guys who 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 look at it from a spillover effect will say yes. The guys who say look, um, we need this from a you know demand point of view, yes. But w- what about the lifestyle choices that we'll have to make? Right, or we want to make right, which is currently unquantified. It's always based on I just don't like it behind my house, or I just don't like that airport. I just no, we should not build an airport. We should build something else. But that's 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 mm. your choice. That's a very subjective thing, right? So mm. we are not measuring that. Mm. Uh, Ram, I want to uh, maybe end this conversation on a little bit of a bigger note about transport and, and you know uh, hubs. Um, anyone who has learned his Malaysian history knows that the Straits of Malacca played a big role in the way this country is developed, and it's why a lot of the development has happened on the west coast. Then we have, of course, the north-south highway. Uh, all of this just built connectivity for trade, right? Better trade. Um, as we look to develop the East Coast maybe and you know create more regional hubs here in Malaysia, aside from location, right? What, what are the essential things we need to be taking into consideration uh, as we strive to build more regional hubs here in Malaysia? I think we definitely need to look at um, pairing that right with our, um, what's happening in our cities. Right, and ECRL obviously uh, uh, is going to you know connect the east to the west coast, but what's happening to the cities where the transit stations are, or the you know stations are going to be built? I think we need to look at that as well, right? Um, and you know, like I said, any mobility hub is a good idea, right? Don't don't look at it from a, okay, this is a train station, can it be a mobility hub? Uh, for that area, so it's now multiple use. If there's a train station there, now this this is going to provide parking facilities for everybody there who may be, you know, having parking problems. Right? We solve we we solve we kill four birds with one stone, right? So if we take that approach, right, then be it rail, be it be it um, highways, be it airports, be it seaports, you are now going to have multiple beneficiaries out of this. Uh, what what I feel is lacking is that almost you know almost like. No pun intended. Uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> railway. You know, tunnel vision kind of thing, right? So we talk about railway. We only think about railway. Uh, we don't think about. Look, there is a. Uh, there, there. I mean, the, this is part of a multimodal ecosystem, right? So the train stations that are going to be built. That you know, ECRL stations. Now, all has to mean a lot more than just a train station. Then you've got real 
real you know, connectivity happening, right? That is what we need to take into account. So this is actually being able to say, look, how does this improve the city around it, right? It's not a question of whether we should have it or not. I think that's... that's that's uh, uh, you need to get past that in order to be able to have this conversation. The fact yeah. that yes, we all know it's being built. Okay, now what? It's done. It's right? being built. Done. That's right. Yeah. So, so hence, if we take that approach, right? Any improvement to any mobility systems is much needed. The question is, how do we do it? What's the size of it? What's the scope? And and who is it benefiting? Right. Uh, so, if we take that approach, then it's not a question about. Do we, do we build this line or that line? It's a question of, okay, if we were to build this line in this way, now what's the impact? Who will benefit out of this? Let me just jump in there quickly, Ram. And I'll use an example. There's a, an LRT or MRT station near, near, near where I live, which I see very few people using, right? Obviously, that MRT station needs to be there as part of the entire network. Yes. What about those people, though, that in that neighborhood who have had to be moved around and, and whatever and suffered the, the, the consequence of the development and the construction around it, who then see that transportation hub and say, we said we, nobody was going to use it and now nobody's using it. You know, what, what do you say to those kind of people? Yeah, so I think that is quite unfortunate that that, you know, continues to happen, mm. right? Um, and and uh, that, you know, further reinforces the fact that they feel disconnected um, in, you know, many ways, uh, you know, physically disconnected, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. also from, a, you know, values point of view, right? You know, like like nobody's spoken yeah, with them or taken yeah. them seriously. Yeah, yeah. So, so hence, you know, I think we can be, we, you know, can be a lot more smarter about this. Uh, and that's where the use of tech comes in, actually. And so right. we don't see that connection yet, right? So say, for example, we've got an easy way to pay for fares, let's say, for fare payments. That's an, you know, easy way. Uh, an account-based way, meaning I could use any fare tokens that I want. I could use a bank card, for example, any bank card in your wallet right now, uh, link that to, to this, you know, transit app. And then uh, for those who, so then I know who you are. Right now, with your you know with your card holders, with your you know touch and go hard card holders, which is the predominant way mm-hmm. to pay for public transit right mm. now, is to use a touch and go card. Mm. Now, the touch and go card uh, is not linked to an account in the back end, right? It's a stored value card. So I could give you know Richard my card, I could give you my card, you know Roshan, and you could use it, and the operator will have no idea that it's you know Richard who has just gone to that station and and he has used the trip, um, and so it's uh, it doesn't help with targeting subsidies. It right. doesn't help with being able to say, look, for all of these people who have been impacted by that station, I'm going to give you two years' worth of transit fares for free for only all of you who live there. We can't do that right now, you know. Mm. There's no easy way to do it right now. Mm. It, it, it needs to be a major campaign and build a new database and Knocking you know, collect doors the people, even. quantify the people. That yeah. are. But if you have this, say, look, for all of you who live here, great. You can go and sign up for this transit app wallet and just link your bank card to it this bank card you use to pay for transit fares, right? So now that's a quick, easy way to encourage, incentivize. Very targeted. Very yeah. targeted, right? So how how do you do that easily? Account-based, you know, ticketing, which we currently do not have in Malaysia. In Singapore, you do. Here, we don't, mm. right? So that's yeah. the that's the big target here, being able to identify that and uh, using account-based ticketing could be one of those ways. Yeah. Uh, Ram, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, guys. I was speaking with Ramachandran. We were speaking with Ramachandran Muniani, the CEO and co-founder of Asian Mobility, a mobility as a service and digital city solutions provider. If you miss any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay after the 1pm news bulletin. Continuing on with a transport theme here, Bravo Transport is Hong Kong's largest bus company and Temple Water owns more than 90% of the group. Cliff Zhang, the chairman of Bravo and CEO of Temple Water, talks to The Morning Run about the tra- transport 
infrastructure in place for a region that is highly reliant on public transport as well as its sustainability agenda. I'm Roshan Kanesan with Richard Bradbury and this has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.